going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, yes, Ron sir. and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Awesome, awesome guest today. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe we actually got him on the show. Who we got we Jack Resider from Dark Knight Diaries here yeah. on the show. These are going to be true, true stories from the Hacker Valley podcast today. <laughs> Fantastic. Jack, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, really appreciate the time. For the folks that don't know who you are, I feel like everyone should, even if they're not in cybersecurity, because your, your podcast is amazing, excellent stories. If you could kind of just go through you know, a short spiel of where you came from and, and how you got to where you are today, that'd be great. Yeah, so I started, I mean, I fell in love with tech as a teenager, getting on the internet for the first time, and then went to university to get a computer science degree. Had trouble, like, coming out of there, trying to find a, a tech job. I kind of felt like I was hot stuff with a degree and didn't want to take an internship. I, you know, it didn't match up in my mental view. But after a while of not finding anything, I got some certs in Cisco and networking, which landed me a job in a knock, and then... From there, a security engineer position opened up, and I was like, I'll take engineer. I don't know what security work really is, but I can learn it. So from there, I they put me into uh, firewalls and intrusion detection systems and you know monitoring a lot of logs and securing routers and switches too. And that's what I spent about 10 years doing professionally is sticking my head in those firewalls. And while I was there, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and said, hey, why isn't there a podcast that has like really high drama because i mean in the infosec we know drama right oh, right absolutely <laughs> like why, twitter yeah <laughs> yeah like where but but not so much the twitter drama but like you know stuff where there's a breach and there's cyber crime going on like there's some serious problems going on in the world and so like where who's who's covering this stuff from like the beginning to the end kind of thing we always we all know about the news podcasts that just cover the latest stuff and a couple interview ones but like there's not one that is like almost like cinema for the mind where it's there's a lot of music and there's interviews and stuff to bring you right there into the scene and then the whole story is there so it all unfolds all the way to the very end so we know who did it and what happened to them and stuff and that kind of thing just didn't exist and i was really into podcasts so i was like all right fine i think i'll just try to make it myself and uh, man i kicked that around idea around for about a year before jumping in and then I finally gave it a shot and made a couple couple episodes of Darknet Diaries pass around to my friends. They said, this needs, to, this needs to be out in the world. Keep going. Do it. And so I, I got a lot of good confirmation at the beginning. And now, two years on, uh, Darknet Diaries has about 60 episodes and 200,000 downloads per episode. So it's pretty popular right now. And yeah, wow. it covers true stories from the dark side of the internet. That is amazing. Very impressive. I bet a lot of that has to deal with like creating a really nice story. Like, oh. what what is that like? You know, what's what's it like going from start to finish in that that creative process? Yeah, I mean, so like one of the things I do is set like a Google alert for hacker sentenced, and if something shows up in the news where it's hacker gets sentenced, oftentimes that doesn't even hit like our news cycles because it's like, well, yeah, we know that hacker was arrested like six years ago. There's like nothing new about them being sentenced, of course. Or like it, it just doesn't show up to us. Like it's not really news. Right. But when I see hacker sentenced, I'm like, hold it. Now I've got the whole story. I can go backwards right. from here, see the court documents, figure out what they were arrested for, figure out how they were arrested, figure out what they did, and even go further back than that. I'm like, is there any other you know information out there? So now I've got the whole thing, and I'm kind of like a slow news junkie. I want to know 
from the beginning to the end, tell me the whole story in one go, not drip, you know, a little bit today and a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit the next day as the news unfolds. I, I want that whole story at once. So I will wait for years <laughs> until that story is done <laughs> and then say, ah, now it's time. Now it's time to look at this. And, and uh, you know, once it's there, now all the pieces are, are there. I just need to work it chronologically and, yeah, put the story together. So what what does that look like? Do you reach out to people that are close to the story? Do you actually, I mean, I, I just listened to the one from the, the Iowa drama that, that happened uh, just recently, but did you reach out to them directly? Do you, you look for people that are close to the subject? How, how do you find the people that you actually interview? Yeah, that one kind of made some big news in our space, right? So right. a lot of people were messaging me saying, hey, you got to cover this, you got to cover this. And I'm like, well, that, you know, that was when, when they first got arrested. Right. And I was like, well, I can't cover it now. The story is still in the middle of it. So I had to put it in my pocket for a while. But at the same time, I was like, okay, who are these two guys involved? And I started messaging them and we started getting on a conversation level. And they're like, yeah, I would definitely love to share the story, but not now. And I'm like, I know not now, but I'm just, you know, let's get to know each other a little. Yep. So, you know, I kept in talking terms until the news came out that they were allowed to talk. And then Krebs actually had the first go at it. He somehow got an exclusive with them. And ah. he's like, I can't, you can't, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know how you get an exclusive, but some <laughs> hackers have an exclusive where they have to talk to one news outlet only and they're not allowed to talk to anyone else. And so I had to wait for Krebs to be done with his story, but he moved fast. So he got it done. And then the next day I was able to talk to him. So it was only about three days after they were able to talk that I was a actually able to get the story. So that one, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of who is involved. I mean, I told you I was involved with security for like 10 years, right? right. So I know the people in this space, and I'm familiar with a lot of faces and names and connect and see who's talking at conferences. And I'm like, wow, that's a great story. You already gave it at the conference. Can you just come on my show and tell it? And I'm a podcast junkie, so I'm always listening to someone telling some crazy story on a podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of scooping all that stuff up and finding the people who already are enjoying talking about it and getting them to go, you know, getting them on the show. Yeah. It's a lot of work. That's the hardest part is the guest wrangling. Right. It often take like I did the one on uh, Microsoft discovered a vulnerability internally, and that took like nine months to get that guy to talk, you know? <laughs> like it just, I kept pestering him like, dude, this is a great story. Can we can we do it on the podcast? And he's like, yeah. ah, no. And I'm like, come on. And uh, <laughs> I finally got him, and it was great. Yeah, the, the one thing I really wanted to bring you on the show to talk about is storytelling. Uh, because storytelling is so huge, especially me being a, a threat intel person my entire career. But not only that, people stories, which is what we kind of focus on on the podcast. But then when you look at, you know, companies that are doing really well, they, their ability to tell their story is really what sets them apart from the competition. Where does your ability to, to tell stories come from? So one, yeah, one part I kind of skipped was while I was working as a network security engineer, I was often facing problems I could not figure out. I could, you know, my Google ability, like either my Google ability sucked or nobody had these problems, right? So right. it's like, it's probably a bug in the operating system or something, or there was just the documentation from Cisco sucked. So, <laughs> which you could probably all say amen to that, right? right. <laughs> but anyway. The, the thing was is that I'm hitting these roadblocks. Like, I can't solve this. I, there's no one out there in the world to solve this problem. Google's not helping. So I started blogging about it. And when you're starting to blog about technical problems and trying to solve really complex technical problems, you don't want to make it as complex as possible. You want to simplify it. So like if we're trying to troubleshoot a VPN, 
well, we don't need to put like you know eight nodes in this VPN. We can make a complex configuration with just three nodes. Yeah, no, sorry. Or even let's let's make it down to two nodes. Let's only have two devices in this in this diagram, and we can we can do all of it from there. And oftentimes I see documentation that has eight and ten devices, and I'm like, that's that's silly. So right. I'm always trying to figure out like, what is the most relevant information you want as soon as you land on my blog if you're trying to solve this problem? And I'm going to put that in the first or second sentence to say here. Here's your answer. Now go. <laughs> and you know, and and I really like thought about this over and over. And some blog posts I was refining over the years and making it like more and more just cleaner and simpler and accurate. And then also just practice for for eight years. I think is what the blog was up for is just practice explaining these really complex things like VPNs and stuff as simple as possible. I think is really where I got the practice yeah. of of giving these complex topics explained simply. And and so you know that's that's where I got a lot of practice just writing and writing and writing and writing. There's you know over a hundred articles on this, and so when it came to let's adopt that into a story format, it was just a matter of like figuring out the mechanics of how a story unfolds. And so what I was able to do was there's this book called Out on the Wire, and it's made by right. a lot of the great NPR folks. So like Ira Glass and Snap Judgment, Roman Mars is in there, Alex Bloomberg, like all these people that you've probably heard their their stuff on, on the radio before. And they're they're explaining how do you make good storytelling. And one of the formulas that somebody writes in the book is like, this is the formula. They say, this is a story about X, but Y happens instead. And, and these are... Yeah, these are great formulas because you're like, okay, if I just say well, this is a story about this hacker, well, what it doesn't really entice me enough, right? Like I, I like stories about hackers, but does everyone? So now, now I say, well, this is a story about how a, somebody tried to rob a bank for a billion dollars, but it didn't work because of this instead, right? right so now you've got yes. a twist just there in the topics, you know, in the formula. There's a twist there already and a hook and everything. And so if you can just stick it all in that formula. Now you can just like expand on that. And so I, I really use this uh, kind of scaffolding that they teach in this book to get me started, as well as there was a, a Khan Academy uh, class that Pixar made. I think it's called Pixar in a Box, but mm. they partnered with Khan Academy on how to do storytelling. And of course, Pixar is a great storyteller too. Yeah, right. So I like absorbed all the great storytellers that I appreciated and you know just started saying, okay, well, you've got the formula figured out, so I'll just like use this as my template and add in all the characters and who, what, where, and why, and yeah. go from there. And, and anytime I get like stuck on a story, I go back to this stuff because it's so great to say, well, here's what you need to do to solve this story, and it's great. So that was really what helped me in the beginning uh, do storytelling. Great. So now we're going to change the name to Hacker Valley Diaries. Yeah. We, have, we have the format now. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's... there was, a, I don't know, Darknet Diaries was a weird name to land on. I really wanted it to be like APT Theater or something like that at the right. beginning. And it was going to be just on APTs because I think APT stories are like amazing. Right. And I had all these other ones. Shift Control was another one I really liked as a name mm. because every, every hacker story the control gets shifted to somebody who not who shouldn't be in control of that data. Right. And right. so I thought that was great, but it was just too, I don't know, obscure or something for people to get. And Darknet Diaries kind of scares people off sometimes. It's like, Darknet, man, I'm not touching that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's what I ended up as. Uh, I, I, I love the name. I think that it's kind of like two words that someone would use that's not in security and two words that someone would use even if they are in security. 
Uh, I, I have a lot of people that ask me like, what's what's this whole dark net thing about? But uh, that that's great insight. What what was kind of the the most challenging piece for getting started? We have a lot of interest from our guests about how they can do their own podcast. Yep. What was really the the leap the leaping uh, place for you that got you to where things seemed a little more consistent? Oh man, it was hard because you know show you guys do it's just let's just chit chat for a while and that's not so hard. It right. is hard. It's a it's a lot of work. You know you guys didn't realize it when you were starting, but now you're like, oh man, this is <laughs> yeah. But but what I was making when I was looking at the competition, like shows like This American Life and mm-hmm. and stuff, they have like 15 people who make each one of those episodes, right. and I'm like. Ah, how am I ever going to do this? So that was the biggest challenge of like, wow, there's a sound designer, an editor, a writer, a researcher, a fact checker. Like I have to do all that myself. And for the first 40 episodes, I did everything myself. And it was just incredibly difficult. But at the same time, it kind of, I mean, I gave a lot of like talks and stuff, especially internally to the team. And it's the same thing as just getting PowerPoint presentation ready and having your talk ready and having it be interesting. So I did, you know, I just kind of, went from there like okay i can give a good powerpoint presentation it's the same thing here you just don't see the slides but instead of the slides you're gonna hear music so i just swap those two out and it it makes it a more enjoyable thing so yeah i mean that was the hardest thing is trying to do it all myself but now i've got some helpers out there that help me uh do some sound design and editing and stuff like that yeah i was taking a look at your your stats page for 2019 and i mean it's really amazing if you look at the stats one of the ones that stood out the most to me was 8.2 million downloads in 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. It's crazy, oh, huh? Oh my gosh. Right. Like it almost it almost seems like for one your social media presence is, is out of control. I, I saw those stats as well. Let's actually let's start there. Social media. Do you keep all your social media uh, up to date yourself or do you have help there as well? Yeah, I do it all myself. And and just let's give it a rundown. I'm trying to think of it through in my head. But it, there's two Twitter pages, one for me, one for my show. Right. There's an Instagram page. There's a Facebook page. There's a Facebook profile for me as well. Then there is a subreddit and a Discord channel and a LinkedIn, right? So right. <laughs> I think that's the most of it. And I started with just the Twitter because that's where InfoSec is. That's the right. that's that's the that's where all the speakers are and the and the authors and the, the researchers and everyone is tweeting on there. So that's where you need to be first. And and of course, if I could get that core built up, then I could branch out from there. And every other platform is really different. So I had to kind of like learn it from scratch too. But yeah, I mean, this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk is like a social. <laughs> you guys know him. No. Uh, <laughs> he he really but he really kicks your butt to say get out there and do like 30 pieces of content a day get yep. out there on the internet the the social media is your megaphone to the world there's no reason why you need to sit around saying well, how come i'm not getting discovered when you can be out there posting and posting and posting and posting on all these places and something one of your social media posts might get you know retweeted around just for that day and you just need to keep doing it over and over and so that really was my my motivation for like the first year just get out there and comment and post and push and push and every as much as i can and i was loading up like three months worth of content in things like buffer and hootsuite and uh, edgar and all these tools that can post to social media and so i you know i'd set it to like do one or two posts a day and i would set like you know three months worth of content it was was taking me a week to do this Right. And so 
I mean, for me, I've always wanted to do something online on my own. So it's just like, where, what should I public? What should I market? What should I put out there? And now that I had a podcast and it was doing good, I was like, this is it. Just add fuel. Go, go, go. So that was really the, the motivating thing was I have this thing and I want to get it out there. And now that I've got it out there enough, I've kind of I've, I've let my foot off the gas and I can just let it coast because it's growing wildly on its own. Right. That that's great. And that's a kind of a, a great strategy is to leverage the tools that are already out there that can kind of help queue up the content. Having an engineering background, have you also made your own custom tools that helped you facilitate posting <laughs> and, and, and and with the content? I, I am no stranger to like Instagram bots, Twitter bots, <laughs> all this stuff like written in Python and stuff. It's just fun to to programmatically do what I was doing, which is like like in Twitter, I would say, okay, let's just like 200 posts today that have the hashtag botnet on it <laughs> or an Instagram, mm. right? And this was this had a weird right. effect. So on Instagram, I was liking all these posts that had the word botnet automatically with my bot. Yeah. And <laughs> the weirdest thing started happening. Get this. People who were selling botnet for hire, like DDoS for hire started messaging me like, hey, you're interested in my services. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Who are you? I don't know what's going on. He's There's like, you keep liking all that. my posts. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's in the queue. And so I'm like, what is it? He's like, you're liking all my posts on botnets and, and stuff. I'm like, oh, wow. I did not know this was happening. So I stopped liking botnet posts because right. I just got flooded with messages. It was weird. Man, this guy is like the most big botnet fan of all time right <laughs> like my bot's talking to his bot mm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i've got some raspberry Pis i play with doing that okay super cool yeah that's impressive uh one thing that i also wanted to, to sort of talk to you about is making that jump quitting your job and then going full-time into to podcasting first would you say that it was the desire like did you just feel like this is what i was meant to do in this community in your life and then also what what did that look like what did that leap of faith kind of look like for you oh man it's a funny story here about one bitcoin mm. <laughs> i had i bought one bitcoin at six hundred dollars mm -hmm. back in when it was six hundred dollars okay it's a good deal and i yeah it was a good deal and at the same like you know a couple years ago it was I was burnt out at work. I'd been there for 10 years, new management. They're asking me to do stuff that I could not do. It was physically impossible. Like they were saying, you have four people, make it, make it, make them, get them on a shift that's 24-7, 365. I'm like, I can't do that with four people. <laughs> they're like, no, right. you need them to be 24-7. <laughs> like it's impossible. <laughs> so they're asking me to do this kind of stuff. I'm like, forget it. You guys, I'm done with you. I'm burnt out. So I wanted to take, I wanted to quit. And I had the podcast like a few episodes in and I'm like, maybe this can make some money. And maybe I can get it. So that, you know, as an, I, quit, I quit the job and I'm like, I got this one Bitcoin. And I look, it's like $19,000. So I sell my Bitcoin, take three months off and just put everything I can into the podcast. I'm, that's when I started tweeting like crazy, posting like crazy, getting all my social media accounts rounded up because I had the time. I had three months of break. And uh, yeah, people liked the show. You know, I had a lot of a lot of great reviews, but it wasn't many people back then. I probably had a couple thousand listeners. So right. I was like, okay, how can I make any money in this time? Because if I can, if I can just crack that door and make a little bit of money, then that can 
you know, ride me to the next month maybe or something. So it, it, and I knew, you know, projections, if I could keep making a little bit more and a little bit more. So by the end of three months, I started making like my first few dollars on the show. And from there, I said, okay, project, if this grows at the same steady rate, then I can, you know, keep this as my full time. So it was a big risk, but I had that one Bitcoin to kind of carry me over. And yeah, it, it, it worked out because the show just kept making more money. And now, now it's p perfectly fine. Sounds like a very quantified risk. You had, you had your numbers <laughs> and calculations all projected and whatnot. You sure was, yeah. So when when do you think was the the kind of the biggest turning point for like the amount of viewers, or is that you know still yet to see? I I, I talked to uh, Guido, creator of Python, and he was like, I don't think I've even like reached the point where I have like the amount of users where I'm going to look back and be like, wow, is like, I think there's even more like now there's kids looking at Python. Do you, do you see the same kind of thing for your show that uh, even though you have so many listeners that, you know, the, the best is still yet to come. I think it's, I think I'm comfortable with what it is. I don't have no idea where it's going to plateau at, but it's like at this point where I said, I'm taking my foot off the gas. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to push it into areas that doesn't need to be. So I'm letting it spread on its own to see how far it yeah. goes. Some people have reached out to me with some really good marketing ideas for this year that I'll do, like episode swaps, and I'll probably produce some pieces for some other big shows. Like I'm going to try to make something for This American Life and pitch it to oh, them. Wow. And that would be a huge bump because they have 5 million listeners. And and, and so, I, yeah, I mean, I've got these ideas, but yeah, I don't know. I'm happy with where it is because at, at the point, it's making enough income that I'm, I'm cool with this. And nice. I think... But I mean, at the same time, what I, I mean, some of the goals is that I'm I'm trying to get a bit a team built to help me build it f faster, more episodes, right. get more episodes to Patreon users and stuff, as well as giving me some time to do something like write a book or make a second podcast or a, a video course and, you know, branch out into some other things that I think could uh, be also beneficial. So, I mean, that's just kind of the goal is to is to build the team now and not so much the audience size. That's awesome. Well, one thing that I think that you do an, an excellent job on as well is actually giving back to those that are looking to podcast. LimeLink has been amazing since you sort of pointed me in that direction. I like tore through all of it in like a day just because it's su such good information for those that are looking to get into it. And you had an article about uh, critical mass for podcasting and you had a number of 150. Do you want to kind of talk to folks about what that number really meant for you? Yeah, so you're talking about the podcasting blog I keep also called Lime.link. That's the whole URL. Yep. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I love I love teaching and sharing. And it's kind of, you know, it's my, probably the fifth blog I've ever made of just like, hey, let me just get some more stuff out. Because I got all these ideas in my head and then I execute them and they work and then I learn from them and I'm like, why well, just keep it to myself? So I love right. teaching and pra and spreading it around. But yeah, I mean, there's this concept of at what point is do you have enough fans that can push your show forward so that you don't have to market it anymore? Because this is a really big struggle for podcasters is getting getting momentum, getting out there. And there you have to seed it yourself to begin with. And once you put enough of that in there, then it starts to, you know, you'll stu you'll feel the wind on your back of, of the show growing on its own. And yeah, I think that number is 150 based on some things that I saw in my experience. So so half the podcasts in the world get less than 150 downloads per episode. Yep. And so 
if that's the case, there must be like some some struggle to get there. If you don't quite get there, then you're going to be losing listeners. You're not quite getting the momentum. You're not getting the spread. The, so there's something there. There's like a, a kind of a wall or something you could say, an invisible one that once you get over that, then now you're in the new zone. So I think that there's a little bit of a, something there. But at the same time, there's the Malcolm Gladwell story of what is it? Uh, Tipping Point is the book yep. where he talks about we can only like know like 150 people and after that there's like a the the oh, tribe just yeah, grows yes. too big right yeah and so there's this magic number about 150 as well there and when uh, he I think he talks about some things where you know once you get 150 customers or something like that they start spreading the word of your restaurant or your ice cream stand and stuff like that so you just need like a little seed in order there's just something magical about this number in that book as well. And then for me, when I was around 150 is when I started hearing people come to me and tell me, hey, I listen to your podcast. People I did not know, right? right? So I was out there putting it on social media, putting it on, doing as well as I could, telling my friends. And then I met someone who I didn't know, that I didn't tell them directly. Somebody told them. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is working. People are telling each other. And, you know, it could have been a fluke. That somebody, I, you know, I don't know, but it just felt like something was actually on the move there. And that's why I mean, you feel this wind on your back where, great, the people I'm telling are telling others, super, it's working. But at the same time, it's working on a very slow microscopic level. You can hardly see like an extra one or two listeners episode when you're at that 150 mark. So it, it kind of... It definitely builds up over time, but at that point, it's kind of interesting to to think about that it can spread on its own at that point. You still want to market the show, but it starts yeah. moving. That's 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 great insight. I'm I'm often asked, especially about taking that leap of faith to kind of even continue on. Like the first episode, you might get ten downloads if you're lucky. You probably right. will get one on your first episode that you push out. What what kind of fueled you to keep going? Was it like the clips of Gary Vee or was it, you know, other other things that were your inspiration? I mean, so I, I had that blog, that technical blog for seven years. And in right. that time, I actually built up a pretty good audience. So I was getting like 100 hits a day mm. of people like, I, I can't, I know, how do I solve this problem? And they're Googling around and they're landing on my blog. So at the top of that blog, I'm like, listen to this security podcast. <laughs> so it really <laughs> blended well. It was a one-two punch, right? Yes. So I, I, even today, I get about seven hits a day to my podcast from my blog. Every wow. day, another seven people are clicking the link from there. So it's great to see what I had started seven years ago. The 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 Twitter, you know, ex- size at that point when I started also is about two thousand followers on Twitter. So I had I had been listening to Gary Vee and he's like, "Go get out there!" And so you know, <laughs> I, I was already like building things up to make something. It was small, but it was small enough to seed it in a very, a very good way that, you know, I started hearing people telling me that I didn't know. I literally liked the show. And that was the fuel that just was like, oh, my gosh, total strangers like this. I, I got to go, go, go. I got to make this thing, uh, you know, I, I just got to. <laughs> and for me, it was kind of a race to get good. Right. So it was like, yeah. let's just. Let's just put episode after episode after episode out there to get good as fast as I can because I know I suck at the beginning, but I want to get over that hump. So it's just a matter of practicing and getting it and getting it and getting it. So like for the first 10 episodes or so, it's just all learning and exploring. Like there's different voices I'm using and different, <laughs> you know, panning of audio and different stuff that I was just playing around with because I didn't know what I was doing and the music. 
And, you know, eventually I, like, found my voice and I found my style and stuff. But you don't hear it until, like, episode 20 or so. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that's the Jack I know from, you know, if you go, uh. if you listen to the latest episode now and you keep going back, where does it not sound like me, you know? And, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20, I finally find my stride. So I'm going to respectfully disagree with you because I went back <laughs> to episode one to hear how much growth has been there. You were amazing then. Like the, it was still good. Like it's, I was like, are you kidding me? If you go back to our episode one, it was, it's terrible. If, <laughs> I, I, I liked episode one. Uh, episode one was good, but I mean, we, we really, we've really grown over the year. <laughs> right. I think, I think any podcast or something special about episode one for the true podcast fans. If you, if right. you want a good story, maybe episode one isn't the best to start for really any place on any podcast. Right. <laughs> So, Jack, uh, what do you ultimately want your story to be for yourself, for the, the podcast? In just supervision looking forward, what do you want that story to be? I, I mean, I think my mission is just to help and teach. I really like teaching people stuff. And I really think I've made some amazing impacts. Like, I get emails all the time of, like, man, you, I listen to your show at a place where I didn't know what I was doing in life. And now I'm going for security and I just passed my CEH or something. Right. And I'm like, that's wow. amazing where, you know, you didn't know what you're doing, especially like teenagers who are hacking for fun. And then they hear my show and they're like, oh, wait, you can get paid for this. Like, what? <laughs> I didn't know that. Right. So, like, I'm influencing people to, like, stay out of trouble as well. And, yeah, I mean, it, I think I've made quite an impact already, which is just kind of already eclipsed what I thought. Yeah, it's weird to think what my legacy is. I I just want to help people and teach people and do it on a massive level because my friend is a teacher at the community college here. And I'm like, you're you're teaching people 10 at a time, right? Right. <laughs> you can grow that, record yeah. that and put it online and now you're teaching, you know, a, a thousand at a time. Thousands. So it's uh it's for me I I always, it's always at scale. Like why teach why go and teach one person when I can blog about it and teach hundreds or thousands or something uh, on a podcast or video or something. So I, I'm always about teaching more people at scale, in a in a very good way that impacts them you know tremendously. Wow, right, perfect, Jack. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for taking time out of your day to be on the show. This was fantastic. Uh, is there any ways that you want people to sort of get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your podcast, they want to learn more about podcasting? Did you want to leave them with some resources? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the blog you mentioned is lime.link, and then I have a, a technical blog at tunnelsup.com, and then the podcast is Darknet Diaries. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm most – that's my favorite spot. So Jack Resider on Twitter. All right, great. We'll be sure to include all those in the show notes. And like Chris was saying, we – Truly appreciate it, and thanks for spending the time. And see everybody next time. Yeah, this was great. Invite me back later. Oh, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Will do. All right. Thanks, everybody. 